Amen. Thank you all. Amen. Amen. Well, it is good to be with you today, Haynes Creek. I hope you are doing well. My name is Travis. I'm the pastor here, and it is great to be worshiping with you today. If it is your first time, I just want to say a special welcome to you, uh, and, and we'd love a chance to connect with you. So I'd really appreciate it if you could just let me know you're here, even if it's your, your second, third, fourth time, whatever time it is. If you haven't let us know that you're here, I haven't passed along your information, uh, we'd love to have it. Uh, not so that I can sell it to scammers, but so that I can, I can give you a call, give you an email, and just let you know how much we appreciate you being here. So there's a couple different ways you can let us know that you're here. One, uh, just text the word welcome to the number you see right there. Pull out your phone right now. Just text welcome to that number. That's all you got to do. Uh, or you can uh, grab one of our welcome cards. We have them on the table right back here or our table outside where the coffee is. Uh, just says welcome at the top. Just grab one of those cards, fill it out. You can leave the card wherever you found it. I'll find it later. Uh, give you a phone call. And, and again, this is just my way of reaching out and saying thank you so much for your visit. So if you could do me that favor, I would really appreciate that. And if it is your first time here, uh, we are, are walking verse by verse through the book of Acts. So we started this at the end of January. Uh, we find ourselves today in Acts chapter 4. We're going to finish out Acts chapter 4 today. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open up Acts chapter 4. We're going to start out in verse 23 and carry it down through the end of Acts chapter 4 in verse 37. If you don't have a Bible, it's all good. You can follow along on the screens behind me. If you don't own a Bible, uh, we have Bibles on the back table over there. Uh, we'd love for you to take one of those as our gift to you. Uh, but Acts chapter 4, and as you're turning there, I just want to give you an overview. I mean, we took a break last week for Easter Sunday and just really focused on the resurrection. So if you're here last Sunday, uh, thank you so much for joining us here on Easter. I don't know about you, but it was a, it was a special Sunday. I loved worshiping alongside with you. Really cool thing uh, that we can celebrate, I think, is, is we had uh, 79 adults here last week and 27 kids, which is by far the most I've seen since I've been here for six months. Uh, that modular over there was packed out with kids, and here was packed out with adults. Uh, and and I, don't, I don't tell you that to be like, ooh, look at us. Look, we had 106 people. Ooh, that's cool. Because uh, there's churches that are having like, you know, 10,000 people on a weekend. But what we can celebrate is that that was 106 people, whether they were children, hearing in kids ministry, or over here, hearing it in this side, this place, that, that, that heard the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And I think that is worth celebrating. Amen, church? So that good news of Jesus, a fun Easter, uh, but we're going to pick right back up with Acts chapter 4. So let me give you a recap of where we've been, just refresh our memory. So we, we saw in Acts chapter 3, we saw Peter and John, they're on their way to the temple, and there's this, this lame man that spent his days begging outside the temple gates for, for people to provide money for him, to, to buy food, to, to basically live his life. And, and Peter and John, well, well they, don't, they don't have money to give him, but, but I love that he, he look, they look right at him and they say, money and gold I don't have, but get up and walk in the name of Jesus. And he, and he, he gets up and walks, right? Like, like a miracle happens. How amazing is that? This guy who's been lame his entire life now is walking and he's jumping around the temple. This crowd gathers, this incredible scene. Peter preaches the gospel. People are hearing about Jesus, putting their faith in Jesus, and that gets the attention of the temple authorities. And these are the Jewish religious leaders uh, that crucified Jesus. So these guys are, are not nice about Jesus. They don't want to talk about Jesus. They don't want people talking about Jesus. So they, they come and they confront Peter and John and, and they arrest them, right? We see them being arrested and they're brought before the council and their lives are threatened and they're told, hey, y'all, stop talking about Jesus. And what we saw a couple weeks ago is when these authorities, these same guys who put Jesus to death, tell the same thing to these men. You stop or else, 
I love it. Peter and John look right at him and like, y'all do what you got to do, but we're going to keep talking about Jesus. All right, y'all do whatever y'all got. That's fine. Y'all, y'all got to do what you got to do, but we're going to preach Jesus and we're not going to stop. I love that. And that's where we pick up. This, this narrative continues on. So the temple authorities can't really do anything because the crowd is loving Peter and John. This genuine miracle happens. They're like, look, we just got to let these guys go. So they release him. And that's where we pick up in Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 23. It says this. I'm going to read it all, and we'll spend our time chatting about it. Verse 23, it says, When they were released, so that's Peter and John, when they were released from uh, being held captive by, by being arrested, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage? Why did the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. Verse 27, for truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal. And signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Verse 32, now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. And there was not a needy person among them, for as many were as owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to any as had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Okay, so there's a lot, there's a lot going on in this passage, a lot happening after the, they, they see this first persecution, right? Like that's the beginning of Acts chapter four, this, this confrontation with the temple guards. This was the very first persecution that the church faces. And this is how they respond. So there, I know there, there's a lot going on, a lot happening. You know, they're praying, the house is being shaken, they're filled with the Holy Spirit, they're preaching the gospel, they're giving things away to people, right? Like there's a lot happening about how they, how they respond to this moment. But there's a phrase that, that as I was praying through this, as I was studying through this, uh, it just kept standing out. And it's found in verse 33. And if you, if you underline things in your Bible, I want you to underline this phrase. In verse 33, it says, And great grace was upon them all. Great grace was upon them all. And I, I think this is the key to understanding what's happening here. What, what, what causes the church, what causes believers to respond in this way when they're persecuted, when their lives are threatened? What, what causes us to respond to the Lord in prayer? What causes us to respond with even more boldness? What causes us to, to respond to, to be united with one another and to be generous towards others and to take care of them? What leads to this type of life for believers? 
I believe that's the answer, verse 33. I believe it's, it's God's grace that leads us to that, that drives us to that kind of life. To the early church here, the believers that we see in Acts chapter 4, they were, they were filled with the grace of God. They were filled with God's grace. They were led by, they were driven, they were motivated by God's grace. Now, see, typically when we, when we hear God's grace and you're a preacher like me, talk about, all oh, the grace of God, the grace of God. Typically, we, we think about it in just one way. We typically think about it as, as God's saving grace, right? And that's usually defined as, as something along the lines of, of God's unmerited favor to save sinners like ourselves, right? So what that means is, is, is we didn't earn salvation. There's nothing that Travis did to, uh, you know, put myself in, in good light in the eyes of God. Like, oh, Travis, you did a really good thing there. I guess I'll save you now. Way to go. Like, that's not how we're saved, right? Like Ephesians 2.8.9 says that for by grace you have been saved. It's God's grace that saves us. And that's not something that we earn, right? So it's, it's undeserved favor from God that saves us. So that's typically, when we hear God's grace, that's typically what we think. If you've grown up in any church, for any sermon, that's typically what we think of, right? Well, the Bible speaks of that, yes, all throughout the scriptures. All throughout scriptures, it's God's saving grace, God's saving grace. But there's this other type of grace that the Bible speaks of. And it's this more, this more practical, uh, everyday kind of outworking of what God's doing in our lives that, that, that affects those around us. It's supposed to affect those around us. And the Bible refers to that as God's grace as well. So here's another way that we can define it. So God's grace, yes, is unmerited favor to save sinners, but a second definition of God's grace is this. It's, it's God's, uh, God's grace is God's transforming power that works in us and through us. God's grace is God's transforming power that works in us and through us. So God's grace doesn't just change me and make me more like Jesus. It absolutely does that, right? Like it's, it's, it's because of God's grace that, that, I, that hopefully, Lord willing, throughout my life, I will look more and more like Jesus and less and less like the sinner that I am so often, right? Like that's, that's God's grace at work in my life. But it doesn't, it's not supposed to, at least it doesn't just stop with me, right? God's grace is not just for me as an individual to just take in and soak in and get more and more of God's grace. God's grace is supposed to come into my life to change me so that I can then give that grace to others. We're to receive God's grace and then dispense God's grace. So it's God's grace is God's transforming power that works in us to make us more like Jesus and work through us to love others. So the way you could say this is, is God's grace leads us to love God and love people. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. I want to look at, at, at how God's grace worked in the early church here, how it worked in the lives of these believers, and what that means for us today. So if you're a note taker in here, I got four points for you, four ways we see God's grace at work here in this passage. So number one, number one, God's grace leads us to prayer. First way God's, uh, God works in our lives is, is that we see here is God's grace leads us to prayer. And what's so fascinating is, is this is the first thing the church does, right? Like, this is the first thing these believers do. They're persecuted, their lives are threatened, and the first thing they do is they run to God in prayer. They run to him in prayer. It says, verse 24, that they, they lifted their voices to God. They come together as the church, they hear the news, and their reaction to that, their response to that is to pray, is to come to the Lord. So they prayed. And they put their trust in him. You can see that as they, they address God as sovereign Lord. Sovereign Lord. They're saying, God, we, we trust in you. 
you're sovereign, you're in control of all of this, you're over all things, including the persecution, including our enemies, you are over all of that, and we can trust you because you're a good God. So they ran to God in prayer. What this tells us is is God's grace should remind us of our dependency on God. God's grace shows us how dependent we are on God. I can't save myself. That's what the Bible says over and over and over again. It's not me that saves. I can't save myself. I can't rescue myself. I can't forgive me of my sins. I can't earn and work my way to God's favor. That's not how it works. But God gives me his grace anyways. That's the good news of the gospel, right? We don't have to earn. We get to receive God's grace. So God's grace should remind us how dependent we are on God, that we, we desperately need him every moment of every day. And one of the, the best ways we can tangibly demonstrate this trust in God is through prayer. It's through going to God in prayer. But most of you guys know this, but for those that don't, I have three kids. Uh, so Zayden, Livy, and Mila. Zayden and Livy are pretty close in age. They're the two older ones. Zayden is six and Livy is five. She'll be six in June. And as they get older, one of the really cool things to watch is they're able to do more and more stuff on their own, which is really cool. Like you, you want to see that as a parent. You want to see them grow in this independence and, and start doing stuff. Plus it kind of gives you as a parent like, oh, cool. I don't have to do every little thing for you now. This is pretty awesome. It's a really cool thing. Because um, you, you don't want them to be adults and still relying on you. Right? Like that's not the plan. Uh, so we, we want them to do stuff on their own, but they're, they're still young. So there's certain things that they can't do. And, but the cool thing is, like, they want to try. So I try to encourage them, hey, just give it a try. You try to do this on your own. And sometimes they'll try. And I always tell them, like, if you can't do it, dad's right here to help. Like, if you can't do it, just let me know, and I'll help you out. But what they do is, is they just forget about that. So they'll, they'll try to do something. When they can't do it, instead of asking for help, I hear this, oh, and they'll just get mad. Like, they just get angry, and they're frustrated, and they're just, they're making these noises like, oh, I can't, oh, rah, rah, like, just stomping through the house, just making a big fuss. I'm like, what, what are you doing? Like, I can't do this. I'm like, I know, that's, that's why I'm here to help. Just let me do it. It's, you don't need to be getting all worked up. Like, what is wrong with you? But they just, they get so frustrated. They get so mad because they can't do something on their own. And man, I don't know about you, but, but I see myself in that moment all the time. I see myself in that moment all the time, right? Like, that's, that's me. How often am I going through life trying to do things on my own? How often am I relying on my own strength, my own ability to do the things that God tells me, hey, you can only do this because of me. You can only do this through my power. And I'm like, cool, God, I hear you, but I'm gonna try this on my own. And then I get frustrated and then I get angry and I'm like, God, why would you do this? Like, uh, that's typically, I don't know about you guys, but that's how I respond. And yet we have a God We have a God, a sovereign Lord, who loves us, who's more powerful and greater than everything, than anything we could possibly imagine, who upholds the universe, the entire universe, with the power of his word. He can do it all. And we're like, no, God, I got this. (laughs) What? So we got this God who's who's more powerful than anything. And here's the crazy thing that blows my mind. Like our God who rules the entire universe is like, yeah, Travis, I care about your problems. Bring your problems, bring your fears, bring your troubles, bring your anxieties, bring them all to me and let me handle it. That's our God. He's more powerful than anything. He can do all things and he wants us to bring our requests to him. He wants us to ask for help. 
He tells us over and over again that he's a good father that wants to give good gifts to us, his children. That's our God. I love how Hebrews 4, 16 puts it. It says this, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We're always in need, y'all. Always. This verse always applies. We are always in need, and we can always draw near to our God. And there is always more and more grace. Right? God's not like, oh, Travis, you reached your grace limit today. Sorry, no can do. Come back tomorrow. Hope things are different. Like, that's not how it works. There's always grace to help in time of need, and we're always in need. Let us draw near to God. Let us come to him. And that's what we see here in this passage. The early church is going through their first difficult moment. Up to this point, everything's been awesome. Now they're starting to find the struggle, and things are only going to ramp up. Things are only going to get worse. And what we see here is this prayer of trust and dependency. And that, if you notice that up there, starting in verse, uh, starting in verse 25, uh, they, they quote from the Old Testament. That's a quote from Psalm 2. We don't have time to read it. Go back and check it out. But it's a psalm all about recognizing that God will have enemies, but that God will win the victory over all of his enemies. So what these disciples are saying is, look, Lord, we, we know there's people coming after us. There's people coming after you, but you've got this and we can trust you. That's what prayer reminds us of. So God's grace leads us to prayer. The second thing we see here is God's grace leads us to mission. God's grace leads us to mission. Look at verses 29 through 30. It says, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. And grant to your servants, I'm sorry, grant to your servants to, to speak with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with all boldness. God's grace leads us to mission. What do they pray for? What do they pray for? Do they pray for the persecution to stop? Or do they pray for, uh, you know, the threats to stop, for, for, Lord, please don't let our enemies kill us, right? Like, keep, keep our lives safe. Like, I don't know about y'all, but that's what I would have prayed for. You, you, I'm standing before people who I saw just kill Jesus like a month and a half ago, now telling me, hey, if you don't stop, we're going to do the same thing to you. You better believe I'm going home and I'm praying, Lord, please don't let them kill me. Lord, please let this stop. Lord, change their hearts. Let them look favorably upon me, right? Like, that's, what I, that's my prayer. What do they pray for? Do they pray for the persecution to stop? They prayed for the threat to stop? No. They prayed for boldness. They prayed for boldness to keep speaking and preaching about Jesus. Despite the opposition, despite the persecution, they knew that God gave them a mission. That God said, you are to be my witnesses throughout the entire world. You're to, you're to go to everybody and talk about me. They knew they had a mission. And in order to fulfill this mission, they saw the enemies coming. They saw the persecution. They saw the opposition. They said, Jesus, we need your strength. We need your boldness. We don't want to stop. We want to keep going. Give us the strength to do this. How is that possible? It's because they, they knew the grace of God, right? They, they, these people have, have tasted and seen and experienced the grace of God. They know what it's like to go from dead in your sins to alive in Christ. They know that. And they want to spread that good news to everybody. They want to tell everybody about the grace of God. They want to keep preaching. They want to keep sharing. 
It's because they know the grace of God is worth sharing. It's good news to tell everybody about. And you know, we, we love to tell good news, right? We love to tell good news. Um, Zayn and Libby, that they lost their first tooth recently. Lost their first tooth. It was really exciting. Libby lost hers a couple months ago. Zayden lost his while we were out of town on vacation at the beginning of this month. And, and they're like, man, you, they were so excited. Like, they wanted to tell everybody. They're like, mom, take a picture of me. Dad, take a picture of my tooth. Tell everybody. Dad, send it to, send it to Nana. That, that's my mom. That's her grandma. Send it to me, mom. That's Kendra's mom. Send it, send it to everybody. Tell everybody that we lost the tooth. And the tooth fairy came. They want to tell everybody about that. They wanted to FaceTime everybody. Like, they were so excited to share this good news. They were, they were pumped about it. They wanted to tell everybody. That's what I love about little kids. They just, they get so excited and they want everybody to share in their excitement, even over the, like, the littlest things, right? They just get so excited, so pumped up. They just want to tell everybody. And we do the same thing too, right? Like we love telling good news. Like we have really good news. Like and you get a promotion at work, right? You get a promotion at work. You're typically not just, oh, I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to tell anybody about that. Now you're like, hey, y'all, I got a promotion. How cool is that? You buy your first house, you're like, man, let me take a picture, let me put that on Instagram, tell everybody, homeowner, like, hashtag homeowner, what's up, y'all? Like, we want, we want to tell everybody the good news. You get engaged, you're pregnant, like, you want to share the good news. There's a, there's a short line at your pie after church on Sunday. Praise Lord! Praise God! I know y'all love your pie, don't lie. We want to tell everybody about it, right? We want to share the whole world, like, look at this good news. We're putting it on social media. We're texting people. We're telling our friends. We're telling our family. We get excited about good news. Y'all, there, there's no better news than the grace of Jesus Christ. There's no better news than the fact that God saves sinners. And it doesn't, it doesn't mean that we, we have to earn that, right? Like, that's the good news of God's grace. He saves sinners like us, y'all. That is good news. And we remember that should lead us to want to share that good news like we do with everything else in life. God's grace should lead us to mission, remembering how good news is. What sweet, amazing news the gospel is. It should cause us to want to talk about it. It should lead us to mission. But we know, right, like we know that just like the other church, like things get in the way, life happens, we get scared, we get nervous, whatever. There, there's so many distractions from God's mission in this world. Let's echo the prayer of the early church here. Let's echo the prayer of Acts chapter 4. Let's pray for boldness. Let's pray to see the opportunities to preach the gospel. And what I, what I love here is, is God answered this prayer, Right? God answered this prayer. They prayed this, and verse 31 says, the house that they were in, the place that they were in, was shaken. Like a, a, a mini earthquake right there. Yeah, that would be scary, right? But that's, that's a sign of God's presence. When we see uh, God's presence throughout the Bible, we see sometimes it comes with, with a shaking, it comes with an earthquake. So God's saying, I'm here with you. And he fills them with the Holy Spirit yet again. And then they go on preaching with boldness. God answered their prayers. And I believe he wants to answer this prayer today. I believe he still wants to answer this prayer. So church, let's pray for boldness. Let's pray for boldness. Let's remember the good news. Let's remember what God has done in our lives and let's share that with the world. Let's share that with the world. Look, it doesn't have to be complicated, right? Like sometimes we just overthink this. We make things too complicated. All sharing the gospel is is saying, hey, here's what Jesus did in my life. I was this way and now I'm like this. This is how I've changed. How good is God? That's what it means to share the good news. So God's grace leads us to boldness. Third thing here that we see 
is God's grace leads us to unity. God's grace leads us to unity. Look at verse 32. I love what it, what it says here, how it describes the early church. Verse 32, it says, now the full number of those who believe that, that's everybody who believe. We know at the beginning of verse four, it told us that there was at least 5,000 men. So, you know, take that number and maybe double it, maybe even more. We don't know. But that a lot of people, they're gathered together and they were of one heart and soul. They were of one heart and soul. That's a phrase that speaks to a close relationship, a deep friendship. This was not a surface level church. So it's not like, oh, I think I know that person's name. Oh, hey, how's it going? We just keep things surface level. We don't talk about anything real. We don't get deep. Like, no, they were, they, this was a tight and deeply connected church. They were of one heart, one soul. They were united together. And that's the thing about God's grace. God's grace unites. It doesn't divide. God grace, God's grace unites us. It doesn't divide us. But we see the opposite in the world, right? Sin, Satan, the world wants to constantly divide us, constantly separate us, constantly making enemies out of each other, right? Like, if you don't agree with me on this one thing, well, then you hate everything else about me. I don't know how we got to that point exactly, but we're here. That's where we are. That's what we live in today, this culture. It is completely divided, completely separated. There's enemies being created all over the place. Lines are constantly being drawn. And even in the church, and that's what breaks my heart, and that's what we've seen. If we've seen anything over the last two years, it's how, it's how quickly we can forget about the grace of God and let, let things divide us and separate us. The grace of God unites, it doesn't divide. It unites, it doesn't divide. And what that means, here, what's that, here's what that means. This, just because they were close doesn't mean that they, they were exactly the same, right? Like, being united doesn't mean that we have to be the exact same. That, that would be scary. I don't want a bunch of Travis's running around this place. Like, that would not be fun, all right? I'd get to talk about basketball a lot more, but that's okay. You know, I can get over that. But as God's grace, being united doesn't mean that we're the exact same. We come from different backgrounds. We have different viewpoints. Oh, here's the thing. We, we can disagree on open-handed issues, and it's okay, right? Like, I can talk with each one of you, all the Christians in the room. I can talk with you for 10 minutes, and we'll probably find a theological place where we disagree. And that's okay, because what matters is can we agree on Jesus? Can we agree on the most important things that we have in Scripture? This is what unites us, not our different opinions on things that don't ultimately matter. We can unite on Jesus, and that's the picture of a church. But so often what we do is we let these little disagreements, we let these little frustrations, these little things that happen, we don't deal with them, we don't talk about them, we just pretend they're not there, and it grows into a bigger thing. A few years ago, we were uh, driving out to Texas. My wife's family lives in Texas. We were driving out there, and uh, it was pretty bad luck. I'm not going to say the worst. I've seen and heard travel stories that are just awful. This was not like that. We were fine. We made it there and back safely. But, but during that trip, it just so happened like three different times when we were driving there, some big giant rock just got thrown into our windshield, and they had three little cracks on our windshield. Not fun, all right? Not good. Thankfully, my wife is really smart. We got home. She's like, Travis, you need to take that to a place, get that fixed. Because it up to me, I'd be like, ah, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. But I've seen that, right? Like, I've seen my version of things where it's like, ah, it's fine. Turn into like, you, now you've got this giant crack that spans your entire windshield, right? Like, that's what happens. You get these little, small, little cracks. Eventually, if you don't deal with that, it's going to spread. And what turned it, like, what once was a tiny little thing is now a big thing, and you have to get your entire windshield replaced. It's the same thing in our relationships. 
we let these little fractions, these little, these little issues, these little problems, these little disagreements come up, and we don't deal with it. We don't confront them. We don't go talk to that person. We don't go seek forgiveness and restoration. And eventually, that bitterness, that frustration, that anger builds and builds and builds, and now we got a fracture. Now we've got two people who are supposed to be united as brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, now they're divided. That's not how it's supposed to be. Remember, we're supposed to, we're supposed to take in God's grace so that we can give out God's grace, right? Like we receive God's grace and we dispense God's grace. How many of us like to be given grace on a bad day, right? How many of us in here? All of us. I won't make you, you know, call out the ones that didn't raise your hand. We all want that. When we're having a rough time and we say something we didn't mean, when we say something we wish we could take back, when we do something that we didn't mean to do or whatever it is, like we're just having a rough go at it. We all are like, just, just if, if, if somebody would just give me some grace, right? Just give me some grace, give me grace, give me grace. We love to be given grace, what we don't love to do is give that grace. And already you're like, Travis, you don't know that person. You don't know what they did. You don't know what they said. They don't deserve God's grace. They don't deserve grace. That's the point of grace. That's the point of grace. Not, none of us deserve that. Not a single person in here deserves grace. We don't deserve it. That's, the, that's why it's called grace. That's why it's called grace. Remember Remember who we were when God gave us his saving grace. The Bible says that, that we were enemies of his, that we were children of wrath. We weren't good people. No, we were sinners that deserved God's wrath, and yet he loves us. He gave us his kindness. He gave us his grace. And we're to do the same with one another. This is how we preserve and protect unity within the church. When disagreements come up, and these little fractures come up, because it will. Like, y'all, we're, we're doing life with other sinners, okay? And all the married people know what this is like. When you do life with another sinner, sin happens, all right? It just does, right? We sin, we, we hurt people, and, and what we need to do inside the church is to fight for unity. We fight for restoration. We give grace. We give forgiveness to one another. That's how we preserve and protect unity. God's grace leads us to unity. Okay, so we've seen God's grace leads us to prayer, God's grace leads us to mission, and, the, and then God's grace leads us to unity. And the fourth thing we have here is God's grace leads us to generosity. God's grace leads us to generosity. One of the things that, that God's grace tells us and reminds us of is just how much God has given to us, right? Again, when we think about our salvation, that, that he loves us enough to die on a cross for our sins, took our place on the cross, took on our wrath, our punishment for our sins. He does all of that and then gives us forgiveness, gives us grace, gives us his mercy, gives us his perfection and righteousness, just gives it to us. He has given us much. He's given us so much. And see, when we remember that, when we remind ourselves what that should do, what God's grace should do is it should lead us to be giving people. It should lead us to be generous in our lives. So generosity flows from a heart of gratitude and contentment. Generosity flows from a heart of gratitude and contentment. I mean, just think about this for, for a second. I don't know about you. Again, I'll, I'll speak for myself. When, when there are moments in my life where I'm being ungrateful, 
or where, where I'm discontent, right? Like I'm just, I'm just focused on all the things I don't have. Like, like sometimes in life, it can be, at least for me, again, I'll speak for myself, surely none of you guys are like this, where there's so many things going well, but there's this one thing that's not. And you're like, cool, all that stuff's going well, yeah, whatever, but what about this thing? What about this? Yeah, 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 okay, yeah all that's good. No, 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 but what about this? Yeah, that's nice, but no, 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 no I'm mad about this. I don't like this. I'm surely none of y'all are like that. I, I am at times. Like we, just, we just focus on the one negative thing or the couple of negative things and just forget about all the blessings that we have. Or we get discontent, right? We, we forget all the things that we do have and we're like, yeah, but, but what about that person? Look at, look at what they have. And if you're single, I'm going to be like, oh, well, they're married over there and I'm not. Or, you know, look at, look at how well-behaved their kids are and here are mine. I'm like trying to hide in the corner somewhere. I'm like, no, no, don't look at them. Look how good of a marriage they have. Look how good of a job they have. Look at, look at, look at their nice house. Look at that nice car that they're driving. Right? We, just, we think about all the things that somebody else has that, that we want. So when we have a heart that, that's ungrateful and discontent, I don't know about you, but when I'm feeling that way, I'm not thinking about how to give to somebody else. I'm not thinking about how can I serve somebody else. I'm thinking, what about me? What about me? I don't have that. This one thing over here is bad. Give to them? No. What about somebody should be given to me? Again, I'm sure none of you guys are like that. I'm sure you've never felt that way before. But the way to correct that is to remember God's grace, to remind ourselves of the grace of God, remind ourselves of how much he really has given us. Look, because we could have everything stripped away in this life. We could have everything taken away from us. But if we have Jesus, we have more than enough more than enough. And God has given us Jesus. He's given us salvation, and that should fill our hearts with gratitude and contentment. Okay, I'm not trying to downplay. Some of y'all, I, I get it. You're walking through really difficult seasons right now. And I, please hear me. I'm not trying to downplay what you're walking through. But as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, you got that thorn in the flesh, these difficult, piercing, hard moments in life. What carries us through that? God's grace. His grace is sufficient. Remember God's grace. And look, when we remember God's grace, it doesn't just help us remember the many blessings. It does. We can look and say, man, look at, look at what all the Lord has done for me. He, he's made me alive in him. He's given me forgiveness. He's given me salvation. He's given me the promise of eternal life. It's not just that I can focus on his blessings, but it, but it gives my focus off of the gifts and onto the giver, right? We don't just focus on what he has blessed us with. We, we fix our eyes on him, and it reminds us, Jesus, you are enough. Jesus, you are enough. I mean, just look at how the early church demonstrated this, this grace and generosity, right? Like, they're, they're taking care of each other. It says that there wasn't a needy person in the entire church. That's awesome. They, they, were, they were selling homes and selling lands and, and bringing money to the church to, to help people out. And this is one of the most tangible ways we, we can demonstrate our trust in God is by being generous, by being generous. Now, look, what we see here is what these, this, this early church, what they modeled for us, what we carry forward today is they were, they were selling land, they were selling homes, they were, they were giving of their finances, bringing into the church, and the church was distributing to those who have need. So what we see here is, is the importance of giving to the church. We see this practice by the early church, and, and this is something that we're supposed to do today. And I know some of y'all already are like, oh, here we go, preacher talking about money. Preachers always talking about money. Why are you always talking about money? 
Well, because Jesus talks about money. So if we're going to talk about Jesus, we've got to talk about the things that he talked about. And look, let's be real. Let's be honest. This is a safe place, right? I think money can be an idol in our hearts, right? The Lord knows how, how, how easily we're driven towards greed, how easily we're driven towards trusting the things of this world. He knows that. So is that uncomfortable sometimes? Yeah, imagine preaching it. Let's talk about it. Let's jump into it. Why, why should we give to the church? Why do we give? I just want to be honest with you. Like, again, let, let me be straight with you. We don't give because the church needs your money. Does this church need money? Yeah, sure, it does. Does every church need money? Yeah, for the most part, every church needs money. But we don't give because the church needs our money, because God somehow needs our money, right? Like, that's not how it works. We don't give to be like, oh, man, that good sermon today. Oh, Johnny, good, good job playing that song. Let me, let me give you a tip. Let me give you a tip, God. You keep, you keep doing it. You keep up this good work, God, and I'll be back for some more. Like, that, that's, not, that's not giving. That's not why we give. Look, the truth is, because our God, again, is over everything, more powerful than everything. If our God wants to keep the doors of this church open, he's going to do it with or without our money. That's the truth. That's the reality. We don't give because somehow God needs our money. That's not it. The reason we give is for us. It's for our benefit. Because when we give, when we're generous with what God has blessed us with, it aligns our hearts with God. It aligns our hearts with his, and and it gives us a tangible way to say, Jesus, I trust you more than everything. I trust you more than my bank account. I trust you more than my paycheck, more than my job. I trust you. It is a tangible way to do that. And then the really cool thing about that is, is when we give, we partner with the Lord in meeting real needs. Like when you give to a church, when you give to this church, it allows us to support and help those in need. It allows us to create discipleship opportunities for people in the church. It allows us to reach this community with the name of Jesus. And we get to, God invites us to partner with him in that. How awesome is that? See, giving is for us. It's for our benefit. It's for our good. It's for our spiritual growth. That's why we give. That's why we give. Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8. He says, he says this, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Verse 8, and God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that having all sufficiency and all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. I mean, just look at the way that, that God talks about being generous, talks about giving. It's not, it's not talking about it like, like it's a chore, right? No, he says that God, God loves it when we're a cheerful giver. If you're giving out of some, uh, you know, compulsion, as he says here, don't do it. Don't give. I'm giving you permission right now. If that's your motivation for giving, stop. Don't do it. Because God wants a cheerful giver. Again, he wants us to love him more than our stuff. And how are we able to do that? How are we able to be like this kind of person? Right here in verse eight, all grace. It's God's grace. God's grace leads us to generosity. So are you giving? If you are, I just want to say like, thank you. Praise the Lord for you. If you're not, now's the perfect time to start. Now's the perfect time to step into the, to, to walking in obedience in all areas. 
And regardless of where we are on that, what we need to constantly ask ourselves is how am I being generous with what the Lord has blessed me with? He's given us time. He's given us resources. He's given us finances. He's given us a whole host of anything. And we're called to be good stewards of that, good managers of that. So how am I being generous with all that God has blessed me with? God's grace leads us to generosity. So despite the persecution, despite the threats that we see in Acts chapter 4, we see a, a people of God who trusts in their God fully and completely, right? We see them running to God in prayer. We see them asking for, for more and more boldness to preach the good news of Jesus. We see them united together. We see them being extremely generous to take care of the needs of their church. How is that possible? The grace of God. The grace of God. They were led and driven and overflowing with the great grace of God. Let us be that kind of people. Let us be that kind of church. Let it be said that the people of the church of Haynes Creek, man, man, great grace is upon all of them. Let that be said of us. Let's constantly remind ourselves, remind one another of God's good grace in our lives. In a moment, I'm going to pray for us. We're going to do what we do every single Sunday. The band's going to come up, and they're going to lead us in a couple of songs, and we're going to enter into a time of worship and a time of communion. Uh, So this is a time for believers in the room only. So believers in the room, if you're here, uh, this is a time for us to celebrate and remember and worship Jesus for what he's done for us. So believers in the room, as I pray, as the band comes up, here's what I would ask of you. Just take a moment in your seats. Take, take, take as long as, as you need, but, but take time to remind yourself of the grace of God, to remind yourself of all that God has done. Maybe throughout our time, God has brought some things to mind where you realize, man, I've, I've stepped outside of God's grace. I, I've, I've gone astray. You know, maybe I've let bitterness take root in my life. Maybe I've been uh, sinful towards other people. Maybe I'm being greedy and not generous. Maybe I, I haven't been bold for Jesus. I've been, I've been really quiet despite the opportunities God has brought. Maybe, maybe there's things that we're seeing where, man, man I've, I've stepped outside of that and I need to come back. And again, that's the beauty of God's grace is even when we stray, even when we sin, even when we stumble, even when we make mistakes, God is right there with his arms wide open, ready to hold us and bring us back to him. God's grace never runs dry. Return to him. So maybe you need to spend some time in prayer and repentance. Maybe you just need to spend some time worshiping and just praising God for his grace. Take the time you need that. As you feel led, we have tables on either side of the room with the elements. As you feel led, you, you go to those tables, you take the bread, you take the cup, and you remember and you celebrate and you worship the salvation that Jesus alone provides. For those of you in here that, that are not a believer, I just want to let you know that this time isn't for you, but, but I love that you're here, and I want you to keep coming. Please keep coming. If you have questions, doubts, fears, please, this is a safe place. I'd, I'd love to chat with you about that, but keep coming. And if you're here today and, and you know, man, I, I haven't I don't have a relationship with Jesus. I've never put my faith in him. I've never put my trust in his saving grace. I just want you to know like today can be the day of your salvation. God's grace is always open and available. All we have to do is turn to him in faith. So if you're here and you want to put your faith and your trust in Jesus, as I pray, I just want to encourage you, you just tell Jesus that. 
There's no magic words, no special formula to say or do. All you got to do is say, Jesus, I believe in you. I'm putting my faith and my trust in your salvation and your grace. And he welcomes you into his family. He saves you. He forgives you. He gives you the promise of eternal life. So if that's you and you want to do that, I encourage you, please come talk to me. Talk to any, anybody here that you see. We, we'd love to chat with you about the salvation that Jesus alone provides. Let me pray for us and we'll step into this time of worship. Jesus, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your grace and your mercy and your kindness upon us, Lord. We, we certainly don't ever deserve it, and yet you give it to us freely. And over and over and over again, Jesus, we thank you and we praise you for that, Lord. Jesus, I pray for each one of us as, as we go about our lives and our days. Lord, it's so easy to get busy. It's so easy just get bogged down in, in the worries and the stresses of life, and, and we forget about you. We forget about your grace. Lord, would you help us remember? Would you mold us and shape us? Would you fill us with your spirit? Would you fill us with your grace, Lord? Would that, would that spill out into the lives of those around us, Jesus? Lord, we love you, and we praise you, and we thank you for who you are and all that you've done. It's your name we pray.